There's more patients with COVID in our hospitals today than there have been at any point in the past nine, 10 months. Uh, and tomorrow, I'm pretty sure those numbers are gonna be higher than they are today. Uh, and we just haven't gotten out of the woods yet. Welcome to our podcast series, House Calls with Dr. K. During this podcast series, we're gonna talk about a lot of different things, but specifically it's about medicine, the human side of medicine. We all have questions about our health and who can you turn to? The doctors that you trust. Hi everyone, today on House Calls with Dr. K, we are joined by Dr. Christina Galley, Director of the Department of Health Services. Dr. Galley leads the Los Angeles County Department of Health Services, DHS, the second largest municipal health system in the nation. DHS is an integrated health system operating 26 health centers and four acute care hospitals, in addition to providing health care to youth in juvenile justice system and inmates in the LA County jails. DHS cares about over 600,000 patients each year, employs over 23,000 staff, and has an annual operating budget of $6.2 billion. And if that isn't enough, Dr. Galley in it herself is also a hero on the front lines working inside the Urgent Care Center at LACUSC. So Dr. Galley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. It's really a pleasure. We have a lot of questions for you. Um, our viewers really want to get to know you. You are definitely been in the community and talking about COVID and it's been a really trying time. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Sure, so I'm an internist by background. I completed my residency at UCSF and started uh, my, my career after residency in the San Francisco area. I always kept up some clinical practice, so I saw patients in the public hospital in San Francisco, uh, San Francisco General Hospital, and then I cared for patients in the VA system at the San Francisco VA. But I also took a little bit of a detour from what would be, I guess, traditional medical path, and I, I worked for a company called McKinsey & Company, which is a large uh, management consulting firm that I worked for for six years. Uh, and I worked in their healthcare and their social sector practice. Uh, and then uh, in 2011, my family and I relocated to Los Angeles. Uh, we knew uh, Dr. Mitch Katz, who was just starting as the director of the Department of Health Services at that time. We knew him in San Francisco. And we moved down to help him and be a part of his team in what at the time was helping to prepare the Department of Health Services for the changes that were coming with the Affordable Care Act, the ACA. Uh, and so I started my time at DHS in 2011, and I can't believe that it's nine years later. It goes in just a whirlwind, but, but here we are today. Well, I mean, but you are, you are it. You are the director of DHS. That is, that, those are big shoes. How did you get there? It's a privilege to have the role. Uh, and I, w I got there through, I, I think, just a, a number of channels and opportunities that opened up across those nine years. Um, I started in strategy, moved into some strategy and operational roles. I had the chance to really get to know our facilities up close and personal through uh, two different interim uh, CEO assignments. So I was the CEO here at LACUSC Medical Center for um, about a year. Um, and then I was the CEO at All of You, 
uh, medical center for about six months in two different times. And then I also took a brief hiatus from DHS and moved over to the county CEO's office for also about nine months and worked on an effort around health integration with our sister departments. And, and taken together, it gave me a really great view of the county, uh, of all of the different facets that make up DHS. Uh, and then when Dr. Katz left to go to New York City uh, to run Health and Hospitals Corporation there, uh, I stepped into the director role after that. That's quite a journey. Thank you. Thank you for telling us about that. Oh, of course. Um, what do you think are the experiences that convince you to not only become a doctor, but to become a leader in healthcare? I love thinking about systems. Um, and I think for me, uh, I, I found medicine interesting, my path to get to medicine. I, I, I was really undecided in college. I think I changed my major probably five or six times. Oh, and wow. I just couldn't figure out what I was doing. I, and, and I finally ended up majoring in biology and was thinking that medicine was the right fit for me. Um, I thought for a while I was going to work in global public health. Um, I've spent a, long, a lot of time overseas um, in my life on, on, on different different fun adventures um, and got to spend um, just time getting to know the global public health world. Um, uh, spent a lot of time working with some nonprofits um, and working with some, some different organizations globally. And I really thought that was where I wanted to be. Um, and I think partly for me then the shift came to, okay, if what's the way that I can do that locally here within the United States um, and that it's not so much that there's all this need abroad um, you know I spent six months in India um, I spent you know about nine months in sub-saharan Africa working on different projects um, you know was working with the International Finance Corporation on this project on private sector health care and you know there's there's sometimes this mistaken impression in America that the need is out there. It's somewhere else. And there's certainly a lot of need globally, no doubt. But there's just as much need and vulnerability here within the United States. Absolutely. And I think it was, it was really a pivotal moment for me when I realized that I think my desire for bringing about justice, my, my um, personal uh, love really of thinking about systems and bringing about system change didn't have to happen by always getting on an airplane or by moving abroad which sometimes takes really a strong personal toll and that there were huge opportunities to do that here locally um, and the chance to work with the Department of Health Services um, to continue to be on um, the leading edge about what it means to care for vulnerable populations within a safety net institution and how you think about innovating what that care looks like. I mean, when you think about where DHS has come since we started in 2011, 2011 DHS was just hospitals and clinics. And even within the DHS that was hospitals and clinics, I would say it was just healthcare. And even within the healthcare, it was mainly inpatient and ED care. And in every sense, uh, I think the push over the past nine years within DHS and of myself and many others within DHS has been to broaden that circle. That, it's, that patients, and, and if we're really trying to affect people's health, especially that of vulnerable and marginalized populations such as that, that DHS serves, 
that's not best done from the emergency department or the inpatient unit. You know, first it's, okay, how do you strengthen primary care? How do you strengthen specialty care? Uh, how do you create longitudinal continuity relationships with patients over time and get to know them? And then how do you expand outside of health into the social determinants? You know, you can't expect that someone's health is going to improve uh, if they don't have enough healthy food to eat. Um, if their family members are in and out of jail, if they don't have adequate education, or if they're on the streets, or, or you name it, countless other challenges or problems. Um, and so how do we think about getting involved in some of the broader initiatives with housing? Housing for Health came into existence. Criminal justice reform, the work of the Office of Diversion and Reentry, uh, thinking about mo uh, restructuring health care in the jails. Uh, all of that is, is is exciting work and needed work and is health care work. It's just a bigger picture of healthcare. It's a, it's definitely a different view of healthcare. It's not what you think of when you think of your doctor, but it's definitely very important work. And thank you for explaining it so eloquently about the need that's out there in the community and what we can do just locally and so much work that needs to be done. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you're very impressive. You've done so much. What do you think? Can you maybe give us a glimpse into the day-to-day? -day? What is it like to be the director of DHS and kind of lock us in your shoes? There's, there's, no, there's no single day. You know, and that's part of what makes the job really fun and, and interesting. It's, it's never boring. Um, you know, whether it's um, working with the executive team on thinking about the, the initiatives that we want to focus on in the coming year or diving into one of the specific projects that might be having some trouble um, or that isn't getting enough traction or isn't making the progress that we want or whether it's interacting with community members or with um, government entities, whether it's at the state or locally uh, and sharing the story of DHS, sharing our needs, uh, whether it's working with our amazing teams in finance or IT or HR or kind of people that are the backbone, um, often unrecognized backbone of, of some of what makes DHS work. Uh, the, the job is is multifaceted and fun because of the varied nature of it. And, and it's also, I have to say, fun just because of the amazing people that I get to work with. And I don't just say that. Um, as anyone can tell you, uh, people are happy at their job generally if they like the content of their work and they like the people that they work with. Um, and I love both. So it's, it's really a privilege. But let's go back to the shoes. Are they comfortable ones? <laughs> <laughs> Generally, yeah. You know, there's always a day here and there where, where you're like, oh man, you know, what's going to happen with this today or where are we going to go? But uh, it is comfortable. And you also grow into the role. Um, you know, any role takes an adjustment uh, and it takes time to get used to it and it takes time to get to know how to do it well. Uh, and the county is a unique beast uh, that took a little bit of time to get used to. I had never worked in the public sector until I came to Los Angeles County, so wow. it was night and day yeah. uh, trying to go from mainly the private sector companies to, to public sector county life. Uh, but it's all worth it. It's worth it to have the mission that, that the county and that DHS has. And it's clear you have missions. So that's great. Um, so. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, we are. <laughs> you are leading the second largest public health care system in the United States. I just kind of want to highlight that. In a pandemic. So there are a lot of mixed feelings. And I'm sure, I mean, this is your day-to-day. -day. You live it. I don't have to tell you um, about 
how are we best providing care? How can we balance our daily lives? What's right? What's wrong? And things are changing so quickly. Where do you think we are now and where do we go from here? I think we've learned a lot about um, our patients, DHS, the county in the midst of, of COVID. And we're not through with it yet. I mean, we're still, as you know, very much in the surge. Our, our, there's more patients with COVID in our hospitals today than there have been at any point in the past nine, 10 months. Uh, and tomorrow, I'm pretty sure those numbers are gonna be higher than they are today. Uh, and we just haven't gotten out of the woods yet. Um, but what I think we've learned um, is how to draw together in the strength of the organization. Um, the importance of communication. I don't think that communication has historically been a strength of DHS, both communication out to the public, uh, to the media, to um, even our patients or the general public. A lot of the general public doesn't know who we are. Or if they think they know who we are, they have a only partial understanding. Uh, and certainly also communication among our staff. Uh, I think we realized very quickly that we had to do better with that. Uh, it, COVID has also really underscored um, how interreliant all of the parts of DHS are. Um, you know, where would we be without supply chain? Uh, pulling in all of the PPE and the testing resources that we needed and doing an amazing job at that in the midst of statewide and nationwide shortages. Uh, we never ran out of PPE. Um, we have never run out of testing supplies. Uh, we have created ways in which uh, people can get answers to their questions and know that they're going to be safe. You know, strengthening employee health services, um, strengthening our interfacility transfer protocols, relying on our EMS agency, which is another part of DHS, to help with the navigation with the state uh, and with other hospitals across the system. Uh, it's been I think one of the silver linings of COVID to see all of those parts that make up DHS come together and come together in a good way um, and grow and learn. Um, and then we've also seen, um, as we all know, uh, the, the long-standing and still pervasive impact of racial injustice and racism, and we've seen that play out with COVID. I mean, and DHS has always served primarily people of color. Um, and so it's not surprising that our patient population that we have in our hospitals is primarily persons of color. Uh, and that's just as true with COVID as it is outside of COVID. But we see that everywhere. You know, and the death rates of, of blacks and African Americans is twice that of whites, almost twice that of whites throughout COVID. The death rate of our Latinx colleagues and peers and friends is three times that of whites in COVID. Uh, and I think that's also been a, a wake up call hopefully for everybody across our nation and also for us here within DHS of the need to do better. We launched today our equity, diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism agenda. Uh, and it's a long time in coming. It's, I would say, even long overdue. Uh, but it is absolutely what we need to focus on. Uh, and it's one of the things that we can't turn away from and that I think if done well, can be to the benefit of our patients and our staff and help make DHS a stronger, stronger place. Yeah, you were doing a lot of things, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> I can't highlight that enough. It's just mind-blowing to me, the responsibility that you have to lead a health system just in general, but then also at a pandemic in this process. And I'm sure that takes a lot of toll on a person and it's a lot of pressure. 
How do you think that you are able to cope with that pressure? You take day by day. Uh, you draw on the strength of your family and your friends and your colleagues. Uh, I have work with an outstanding set of individuals in DHS. You know, I, I've, I've gone to some good schools, I've trained at good programs, I've worked in some good companies, but without a doubt, the smartest, brightest, most mission-driven and talented people I've ever worked with are here at DHS, hands down. There's no competition. Um, and the people that are here are here for the right reasons and they do good work and they are full of talent and have accomplished amazing things and you know we all rely on one another yeah. every person has flaws every person has parts of their job that are hard and the 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 work isn't in trying to just make up for all of your flaws cuz to some extent you just have to embrace your strengths and also embrace the gifts that you weren't given. But then you turn to the people that are around you and you draw on the strengths of one another and that's the beauty of a team. Uh, you know, and then personally you just draw, the, draw from the strength of your family and your friends and your, your social connections even in the midst of a pandemic, uh, virtually and otherwise, and you take it day by day. Uh, and you know that, that we'll get through it uh, and that we'll be stronger because of it and it will end. Uh, this will be behind us one day yes. and we will look back on it and it will be painful um, It will be personally painful in many ways for a lot of us um, And it will be painful as a society, but but there will be growth from it Well, if there's anything you'd like to process with me today, I'm happy to <laughs> process with you <laughs> um, So today specifically let's just talk about vaccines. This is in the headlines. Yeah coming. We're so excited. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the rollout for a vaccine will look like? Will we get it? Yep. Expectations? Well, first, couldn't come soon enough. Right. So yes. thank goodness yes. that it's this day is finally here. Uh, and DHS is ready. Uh, DPH, Department of Public Health, is the lead for the vaccine distribution overall in the county, but DHS has a role in that in serving as a redistribution site to other hospitals in the region because we have a lot of storage capacity for the vaccine, so we'll serve as a redistribution site. Uh, and then obviously also a critical role in providing vaccinations for our staff mm -hmm. and our patients. Uh, and in rolling out that vaccine plan, we will follow uh, all of the, the various public health criteria that's out there, uh, and it calls for prioritization first and foremost of healthcare workers, also residents of congregate living facilities like skilled nursing facilities. But in our in our uh, context, it's it's really for healthcare workers that are on the front line, and as you know, we have thousands of those who have gone to work every day caring for COVID patients, working in places where they have a COVID exposure. So we'll be prioritizing. Um, people who want to get the vaccine, it will be voluntary, no one will be forced to get the vaccine if they don't want it, but we would encourage it. Uh, we will prioritize people on the basis of their work location. So for example, people who work in an intensive care unit or an urgent care or an emergency department or on a COVID positive med surge ward. Uh, we'll also prioritize people based on the kind of work they do. Namely, um, do they interact with patients or with, for example, the bodily fluids of patients. So it's clinical staff, but also um, support staff, that people that uh, so tirelessly work to keep our facilities clean uh, and well-stocked. Uh, so there will be staff prioritization, and then there's individual characteristics. So people who are at risk of serious outcomes from COVID include those who are over age 65, 
in those who have chronic underlying health conditions. So if people have those, uh, we'll be sending out a, a memo tonight and a survey for people to, to be able to share what their risk factors are. Uh, all of that information is kept confidential. They just have to say they have them or they don't. Um, and then they'll, we'll be, they'll be put into a prioritization and, and offered a chance to get the vaccination. And we have set up to start the vaccination just as soon as it comes. Uh, there will be vaccination, vaccination sites that are set up across our facilities and we'll get people connected just as soon as we can. There's light at the end of that. There tunnel. is light. There is light. Well, thank you for explaining that. That was very well explained. <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, the COVID pandemic has definitely affected the medical field and we've seen a lot of changes. It has changed the way that we deliver healthcare, telemedicine is becoming much more mm -hmm. common. Uh, there's drive-through vaccinations, lots of different mm -hmm. initiatives. What do you think the future of medicine is going to look like after the pandemic? It's a good question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, if you would have told me a year from now, oh yeah, sorry, a year ago, that in uh, three months, in March, we were gonna switch over virtually all of our primary care visits and a good portion of our specialty care visits to telehealth within a matter of a week, I would have thought you were, you know, a little out of touch. Um, but that's what happened. And I think it just drives home the point that when faced with adversity and a crisis, people can do a lot of things. A lot of things that you wouldn't have thought possible. And I think that it's nice to know what's possible. And some of that will continue. Obviously, we really want to have more in-person person visits um, and be able to bring people back in person. That's important. But not everything needs to be done in person. And I think one of the things we've all learned throughout COVID uh, is the benefits of telework um, for at least a portion of people's time, if it's possible to do that within their job duties, for the benefits of telehealth for our patients, if they just wanna talk to their physician about something and they don't really need to come in person, it's better just to talk on the phone or through, better yet, a video visit. Um, and I think that will really truly transform what we're doing um, in terms of how we provide care. It's also offered a chance for us to reprioritize really the importance of, of some types of services um, you know, we've had to curb back on some services because we had to redeploy people into the hospitals. So it's been good to really take stock of what we do and how we do it and uh, be more explicit about our prioritization. And then, you know, we touched a little bit on vaccine already, but, you know, we've needed to regroup on how we provide vaccinations to our patients, both with COVID and with flu. Um, and really work to make sure that our patients and our staff are safe. Absolutely. It's interesting how creative we've gotten. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, we've talked a lot about the COVID pandemic. Um, is there a single message or something that we've left out that you would like everyone listening to know about? You know, I just want to tell people things. Within DHS, if, if you're within DHS or within as a healthcare provider, you know, people have been amazing throughout this pandemic. Um, they've really stepped up. They've stepped up in, in different and unique and varied ways, and it's been really a privilege to see that. I also just wanna remind people to stay vigilant with their mask wearing. I know people are tired of it, I'm tired of it. One of my children asks me if, if she's gonna wear a mask for the rest of her life, and I thankfully can tell her no, she will not have to wear a mask for the rest of her life. But that's how it feels. Yeah. It feels like we're gonna be wearing a mask for the rest of our life and we're never gonna be able to see anyone or go outside or play our sports or do whatever it is we love. But we will. 
and we will get through it and we will have a chance to return to some of the things we used to enjoy in ways that we can't do right now. Um, but I think also people need to really remember that it is very risky to do things um, right now that weren't even risky three months ago. I mean, with, with transmission being as high as it is and with the number of people who are actively infected out there, you know, seeing a friend in the park might not have been risky in September, but it's risky today. Uh, and if we're going to get through this and the light is at the end of the tunnel, the end is in sight, just hang tight a couple more months. Uh, and keep following the guidance as best you can and know that we will, we, this will end. It's difficult, but we will get through it together. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you are in people's living rooms every day. What is that like? <laughs> it's been an adjustment. Uh, you know, as I would say DHS, just, you know, we don't have a, a communications team. Uh, so we've had to build that up, um, and we're in the process just now of trying to onboard, uh, really, a, a director, first time ever, director of communications wow. for the system, which I'm so excited That's about. Great. It is great and so long overdue and needed. Um, but it's been, it's been an interesting experience. You know, it's not something that I had a lot of experience with before. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature. I... Uh, I, it's, it's been an adjustment. Can you tell us something <laughs> fun about your introvertness and a media moment? That would have been a, a fun time. Oh, goodness. Oh, I don't even know. I'll have to think about that. All right, think about I'll it. I'll think we'll about it. I'll, I'll come up with a good one. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you for mentioning your family. It's actually great to kind of realize that our healthcare providers, your doctors, your healthcare team, they're struggling with this too. They have the family members and they're trying to do the best that they can as well. Now you have an interesting family dynamic going on. Uh, and you are the leader of DHS and you're married to the Secretary of California Health. I'm sure that your dinner conversations <laughs> are not typical dinner conversations. What is that like? Well, to start with my my husband who who's uh, works for the for the governor you know since COVID started he's always commuted back and forth and so he's away um, at least always a few days a week but since COVID started he's been away virtually constantly oh, yeah. uh, so I think the hard part for us over these past nine months has been just him not being at the dinner table um, you know, it's, it's all-encompassing as COVID has been for me and for many others in Los Angeles County. I would say it's even more so at the state level, uh, given everything that they're balancing, and he's been in the midst of that. Uh, so that's, that's been hard on, on me. It's been hard on the kids. Sure. Um, you know, when he is there, there's definitely uh, a, a little too much of the COVID conversation at some points, and we're definitely told by our not shy children uh, that that conversation should wait until after the kids go to bed because they don't want to hear about COVID anymore. <laughs> they are done. My children, my children are done, as are everybody's children. But I think uh, my children are are really tired of hearing about it. How do you balance that? Being a mom, leading, managing the home, COVID. You know, I think it's 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 you approach everything you do with love. You know, and I love my job. I love my family. Um, you know what comes first? My family comes first. 
Um, and I've been grateful that my bosses, the Board of Supervisors, have really um, been supportive of, of me balancing being a mom and being in this role. Um, they, you know, are, have been flexible when I've needed them to be flexible, and thankfully sometimes this job can be flexible. I'll tell you, I do a lot of work at night. <laughs> I catch up on a lot of email and phone calls at night. <laughs> yeah, I have learned to save them in a drafts file and then send them in the morning sometimes. Uh, so that is one approach. Um, but you just, you know, you, you find what you love in this world and then you throw your heart and soul into it and you know that it's going to be okay. And, and my kids, um, they're wonderful children. They're great kids and they know they come first. Um, and they know that their parents are doing their best to try to, to help out, um, and they understand that. I would say they understand that some days better than others, <laughs> but they understand that, and they know that, that they're number one in our lives and nothing will ever take their place. Well, thank you for everything that you do. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. What do you think is the most difficult part of your job? You know, the, I, I'm, not, I'm not a very patient person, um, and the county is sometimes slow, <laughs> often slow. Though I have been impressed in COVID uh, to watch how quickly the county can move when it wants to move, or that DHS can move when it wants to move. Things like I mentioned with telehealth, things that I never would have thought were possible in the time span in which we did it, we did. Mm -hmm. um, but it is hard seeing where you want the organization to go, seeing some of the changes that you know need to happen, um, knowing that end point that you want to get to, right. and knowing how many years it's going to still take to get there. Um, I, I work occasionally in the urgent care at, at LACUSC, and you know it's an outstanding group of people that work there. They are, they are fun um, and wonderful clinicians and nurses and a great team. Um, and I try to lay low when I'm in clinic um, and just, you know, do my job, though. You know, I have to ask for a lot of questions and help with ORCID because I'm not the most skilled yet, uh, <laughs> I would say. So they, they offer me a lot of advice. Um, there are 55 ways to do one task. There are. And we're, t we're working on that. We are working on trying to fix that. Um, but, you know, I see even there in the direct patient care, um, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of little things that don't work right, that aren't as easy as it should be, aren't as streamlined as it should be. Um, you know, and I can always pull a string if I want to um, and get something done. I, I realize that. Um, I try not to do that because I want to I wanna see what it's really like um, to get it done the way that that everyone would get it done. And it's not where we want this system to be. I do think DHS provides exceptional care overall. Um, I have seen it in countless ways, and I think the people that are served here are served well. Um, but we don't make it as easy on our staff or always our patients as we should or could. Um, and we're not as a system where I know we all want to be. And we'll get there, but it's slower than I would like. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting that you go through the growing pains in the front lines, just like the rest of us. Yeah, you know, it's it's fun to see patients. It's uh, really fun to see patients. It is. It's just fun. It reminds you of you know why you why you did why you do the work and why you went into this to start with. Absolutely. So it's a good it's a good reminder. That's great. 
Well, as we wrap up, is there anything that you can share with us? One inspiring story, something that's personally touched your heart um, about this time? Or even a funny one, we'll take a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, How about a Zoom dinner? Have you oh had a lot God. of those? <laughs> Too many to count. I mean, I, you know, in terms of a, I'll tell you something from my my more per, the personal side of my life, not not at work. There's though there's plenty of funny things that happen at work too, <laughs> but it, and it's my experience, um, as many people have had over the last nine months of trying to man distance learning, and <laughs> oh for man. any parent, grandparent, caretaker, babysitter, aunt, uncle, whoever it is that is <laughs> has the it joy. It is a village. It is a village. And I have, um, I try whenever possible to spend at least a little bit of my time in the morning before I, I come in, I come into the office still pretty much every day. Um, it's, it's just too hard to work from home. Um, but I try to spend a little bit of my time. Um, and I have four children. Thankfully, the youngest has been in preschool the entire time. Okay. Uh, her preschool's been open, okay. and that's been a lifesaver. But the older three, they're in, they're in homeschool, distance learning. And they've been there since, you know, whatever, March. And, you know, for my two older kids, my 10 and my 12-year-old, they can do it. They're pretty tech savvy. They're pretty motivated. They can figure it out. My dear seven-year-old, <laughs> Eli, it is a full-time job sitting by him, answering his questions, finding his papers, troubleshooting his Zoom class, you know, and I'm trying to answer emails, you know, normally edit a document. I reserve certain things to do during this time that I'm also trying to help him with school. And it is like a comedy of errors. Absolutely. It is a joy. Um, you know, I know there will be a time when I maybe look back on this with fondness and even reminisce about those days, uh, but it is a comedy of errors. And sometimes you just take a step back and I've got three kids on Zoom and one of them's crying or screaming or can't find it and the dog is eating something that she should not be eating because of course we, like many other families, got the pandemic dog in the midst of all of this who's a rescue from oh, the county wow. and it's been a little bit more work than we would have thought. Oh wow. Um, but it's 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 fun and it's crazy and it's full of life and love and I wouldn't trade it for a thing but it is just uh, a, a really uh, interesting and challenging um, time and you know it's a joy to be able to spend the time some time with the kids and doing that. Uh, but also will be a joy when, when ultimately their schools are able to reopen. I love that. Here I am trying to at 11 o'clock at night via FaceTime do algebra and explain the oh, slope yeah. and y-intercept. Oh, we're on the slope <laughs> and the y-intercept. Oh, no. My oldest, yes. Oh, that was that was fun with like my whiteboard and FaceTime. And I'm like, here, watch me. <laughs> oh, yes. And and you have to re you have to remind yourself. Oh, how yeah. to teach that and yeah I'm right there in the midst of that with you <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll get through it together <laughs> we one will. slope at a time <laughs> we, will. we will well thank you so much for joining us today and I'm 
so happy that our viewers got to get to know you on a personal level and hear a lot more about our institution under your leadership and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the chance to, to share a little bit and the chance to just uh, get to know you better and, and have a chance to, to share with others. So thanks. Yay! All right. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Next week, I will be joined by Dr. Spellberg, the Chief Medical Officer of LA County USC, who will be sharing with us all of his insights. Be sure to check out all of our Season 1 and Season 2 episodes on anchor.fm slash housecallswithdrk. And please, we do want to hear from you. We want to know about the topics you would like to discuss and the guests you'd like to hear from. So email us at lacuscpio at dhs.lacounty.gov. That's lacuscpio at dhs.lacounty.gov. Thanks and see you next week.